You are listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 6, Jana, A.D. 73, February. Peralt's father, Serdic, died. With his dying, I found my life's work. Our harvested mistletoe hung on the support posts of our clan homes for protection and to bring fertility in the animal pens and stables. I passed my days with Laverne, either in Bethan's lodge or my home when it rained, or outside in the meadows and woods when the sky was clear. He repeated chants and recited the recipes for cures, and I prayed with him to learn the prayers. We mixed potions and medicines and distributed them to the women on the farms. He possessed knowledge of how to stop winter itching and fevers that beset babies and children, and more. A contented smile was my constant companion. Donna. You are like you were when the spotted lamb followed you, as if you were its dam, said Mother. Oh, Mother, I remember him. That lamb needed me to care for it. Uncle Bethan said it would die, but it lived for many years. With Laverne as my teacher, I hope to learn and be able to care for the injured and ill people of our clan, not just lambs. I have thought on his being here, said Mother. I was not in favor of his staying at first. I have seen how he made a potion— I had not heard of before that calmed the stomach illness. He is making you happy. I still wonder why the gods brought him here, and what could be following him, but Bethan tells me that he is good for our people. I have decided to leave the decision in the hands of our goddess Marigna. Laverne told the men and warriors at Bethan's evening table why he left his home. All agreed that he could stay. I had not told Mother that Laverne was the boy of my passage dreams, or that now, if he left, I would follow. I had much to learn. I absorbed his information about medicines, spells, and how to treat the injured and sick. I remembered the Druid Oglin only spoke with the tree gods and asked for help. Laverne made potions that chased away the bad spirits. Laverne was a druid and a healer with the hands of the gods touching him. We were fortunate to have him here. But together we could not heal Serdic. It was Imbol. Darkness came early on these days. We lighted our oil lamps before our evening meals. Again the season brought labored breathing to Mother. One night, as I followed my mother into the cool night air again, Silius's plea rang in my ears. I told Laverne about her request, and the next day we went to see Serdic. Serdic, Heralt, and Silius lived in the home together. Heralt's sisters were married and gone. Silius and Heralt were outside, feeding dried grain to their hogs and chickens when we arrived, but urged us to go in. Serdic sat on the floor near a low fire. His hands grasped the edges of a blanket that covered his shoulders. His head low, he was folded over his chest, as if to protect his heart from the dampness and smoke that filled the home. An oil lamp flickered a sickly yellow shadow across his face. His neck stretched forward and jaw jutted open. 
His eyes were squeezed closed and his brow furrowed with lines of strain. His deliberate breaths escaped his body in liquid groans. I kneeled next to him and Laverne in front. There was no recognition of us in Surdick's haggard face. Surdick, I touched his shoulder, but he did not open his eyes. Surdick, why are you up? You should be lying down, I asked. Can... He stopped to inhale between every word. Not... Breathe... Lying... Down... A groan turned into an explosive cough that shook his body and sprayed blood to the dirt in front of his crossed legs. The floor was sticky with this spit. While he coughed, I rubbed his back, not knowing what else to do. I looked to Laverne. He watched Surdick's spasm. When the coughing eased, Surdick reached one arm out from under the blanket and wiped the frothy blood from his lips. His eyes still closed with the concentration of his breathing. The fresh and dried blood on the sleeve of his tunic scared me. I turned to Laverne, silently asking him whether we could help. He nodded, his eyes never leaving Surdick. The room echoed with Surdick's ragged inhales and rough exhales, along with the soft pops and hisses of the peat and dung fire. Surdick, you know you are dying, Laverne said. I looked from Laverne to Surdick, my mouth open in surprise. How can you say that? He is a strong man. He may live through many more, Sawains, I argued, not admitting what I had witnessed. Surdick's fingertips and lips were blue and stained with blood. His white face was slippery with sweat and pulled from the struggle of living, neck roped with the battle for breath, and his head bowed as if surrendering to the war for life that was being waged in his body. Yes, said Surdick, soon. I looked at Surdick, not wanting to believe. Where was the strong man I had known all my life? A farmer whose sheep produced wool that my mother and I wove. A man who was a valuable member of our clan and the father of Heralt. I did not recognize the coughing shell of a man readying himself to cross to the spirit world. His once proud eyes did not leave the floor of his lodge. Silius and Heralt stepped through their doorway. I stood and moved next to Silius, my arms around her. Heralt took my place on the floor next to his father. He has been this way for three nights, said Heralt. We have not slept but stayed up to give him comfort. How can you help? he asked Laverne. I cannot help him live. I can help him die said Laverne gently. He turned back to face Surdick. I will try to ease your breathing, to ease your crossing. Peralt grasped his father's shoulders with white-knuckled fingers while Silius stiffened in my arms with an, oh. Death was not unexpected nor feared by us. Our fear was a difficult passage to death or dying alone. While we all traveled this path, no one wished to die helpless with great pain or alone. Surdick's passage promised to be difficult. He would not give up his soul easily. He had been a stubborn man in life, and I knew he would be a stubborn man in death. We need to move him outside. It is easier to breathe in the fresh air, said Laverne. 
I recalled my mother's trips into the cold nights, searching for relief. We created a fire pit outside his home in the protection of the grain drying area. The thigh-high three-walled space opened into the yard of the farm. Thatch-roofed and wind-protected, it allowed Surdick the breezes and fresh air he craved. We built a small fire to bring warmth to him. He did not need it as much as we did. His body was hot with his struggle. Wrapped in heavy cloaks, dried grasses stuffed into our shoes, and hands tucked under our arms to stay warm, we sat with him day and night. Word spread that Surdick was dying and our neighbors and friends came. For the two cold, damp, gray days he was outside, all who had known him, hunted and traded stories with him, said goodbye. Bethan's father and Surdick had grown up together. Surdick helped Bethan's father become our clan chieftain. Bethan honored Surdick by singing songs of the days when his father and Surdick were boys. A smile crept across Surdick's strained face. Laverne went to our sacred pool with a jar and returned with some water. He asked Celius for a dried apple, which he cut into small bits, put into a pot, and brought the water and apple to a boil. He added wild garlic and the loose moor we gathered several days ago. The mixture was cooled and then held to Surdick's lips to drink for relief. When he was too weak to swallow, I dipped it from my fingers into his mouth the way I had fed my lamb. We laid mistletoe on his chest, a piece of salted pork over it, and bound a cloth around him. Laverne's low murmurs and chanting were constant. He appealed to the gods of the other world to make this passing, Surdick's dying, a kind one. After two days, his breath came in short, torturous gasps, and Laverne told us Surdick's death was close. Surdick, lying on his left side, faced east toward the sunrise and the door of the other world. He could not talk. Laverne sat, touching Surdick's forehead. Silius and Heralt were seated, holding his feet. I laid down behind him, so my body was next to his and hugged him to me with my hand over his heart. I felt the struggle in his rapidly beating heart and shallow, rising chest. I whispered into his ear over and over, timed with my calm breaths, breathe in for life, breathe in for death, breathe in, breathe. Surdick struggled less, but he still lived. His worn soul, stiff with resistance, refused to pass. We sang and prayed to our God of all nature, Sernunos, and our goddess of the underworld, Sirdwin. O great horned one, O Sernunos, O moon goddess, O Sirdwin. Surdic is traveling to you, help him build his boat. He will cross the water, allow him into your lodge, seat him next to your fire, share food and mead with him, promise him successful hunts, show him the treasures of your abode, help him make this crossing into the next world, to his next life. Surdic, what stops you from crossing? I whispered. He was growing restless again. My own breathing grew labored matching his. I forced my mind to follow Laverne's labyrinth. It was one of the things Laverne taught me. I wanted a way to ease Surdic's crossing the river of death. I had never seen it done, but in my heart and my mind, ideas came to me. I knew I could help. Just follow the labyrinth's path. I whispered, Surdic, who do you want to see on the other side? 
All the animals in the farmyard quieted as if to hear his answer. Even the birds in the trees were silent. I prayed to Cora, the goddess of the underworld crossings, and a vision came to my eyes. At the end of the labyrinth's path, Surdic stood at the edge of the rushing black river, looking to the other shore. He saw darkness. He was afraid. No one was there to meet him. In my vision, I brought his wife into my mind, Mahra, as I remembered her when I was young. She stood on the opposite shore of the river, whispering to him, I gave that vision to Surdic. Open your mind, Surdic. Breathe and open your mind. Let me in to show you. I felt a small release in the tension of his shoulders. There, Surdic, there she is. Mahra is waiting for you. She will help you across the river. It is safe for you to go now. Go, go with Cora and Mahra in peace. You will be well there and breathe with ease. You will be young and in love again. You will own many sheep and have many cups of mead to drink. We who remain here will sing your song and remember you in our stories. You are free to go, Surdic. You are free to follow Mahra. His struggle softened. Then his racing heart stopped beating under my hand, and welcome tears of relief fell from my eyes. A few moments after Surdic stopped his struggle for breath, Laverne came to me and helped me up. I was drained. It was as if I had carried Surdic across the river myself. Laverne carried me to a cot to rest while Heralt and Silius took care of Surdic's body. You have done well, my love, said Laverne. You have found your gift. Laverne, Silius, and Heralt later told me Surdic smiled, just as his soul passed. The hogs began to root again. The sky grew dark with another rainstorm. Surdic, buried with the others of our clan, lay in a meadow below the sacred pool. Soon after Surdic's death, Heralt and Silius had gone to Bethan during a clan council and asked that they be released from raising sheep. I will give my sheep to Cranog, my neighbor, in exchange for food for three years, Heralt said. He has a good pasture and they will do well. The clan will still get their wool. I have told him he can use my land to grow food for us and grain for his hogs. We will have no time to work it now. What? I was sure Bethan's bellow was heard across the lake. Celia stood proudly next to her husband, Heralt, and in a quiet tone said, I had a dream, my chieftain. I dreamt that Surdic came back. He stood next to our fire pit and looked around the home where he raised his children. I was in bed but sat up as I saw him standing there. He looked at me and there was a spark in his eyes. He spoke with me. This is the place. All in need will be carried for those who require healing and for those who are dying. Our gods and goddesses will be close here, ready to offer their spirit. The Druid will be here. Janna will be here. You and my son Heralt will be here. All will be doing the work of the gods and goddesses. There will be no more sheep raised here, only praises to the underworld. Laverne will heal and Janna will aid the eventual passing of all. Bell and Moregna send this message. It is through this work that our clan will be allowed to carry its bloodline into the future. Heed this message, or all will be lost. We must do what he told us, 
or Marigna and Belle will be angry. The morning after this dream a flock of crows, at least one hundred strong, came into our yard. Many saw them circle our abode and land in our trees. There was a murmur of agreement from the people at the council table. They sat quietly, she continued, for a short time while Geralt and I looked out our door at them. We fully expected them to eat the grain we had stored for our hogs, but instead they sat and stared at us as we watched them. I finally understood they were waiting for our answer, and I yelled out our doorway for them to take the message to Marigna that we would do as she commanded. As they all lifted off at once, a wind was raised that carried the smell of new-cut grass. I knew we had done what was asked. Bethan looked at Silius and Heralt as if the crows had just landed on their heads. His face grew red and his hand clenched the short sword lying in front of him until his knuckles turned white. Bethan turned to Laverne and I as we stood listening. Heralt had bidden us to be with them while he and Silius made this request. It must have been because they thought I would bring favor to them, being Bethan's niece. I wondered if this was a safe place to be at this moment, uncle or not. The dream was not an easy task, and one filled with hardships. I understood the call of a dream, however, and knew this one we had to follow. How are we to allow a farm that is one of the largest of the clan to go fallow and not to produce? How do we just turn it over to the gods? Druid, is this your doing? What am I supposed to do? Laverne laid his hand on Bethan's shoulder and said, It is a calling we must follow. The future of our clan depends on it. So say the gods. The fields will not lay fallow. Cranag will plow and harvest them and raise the sheep. There will be no change in the wool or food supply. We lose one farmer, but gain a home for the sick and dying. If we are together, we can be better at easing their struggle. I ask you, no, beg you, try this plan for one year. If it is a hardship and you do not see that it works, we will go back to our old ways. Druid, you can talk milk out of a bull, said Bethan, after running his hands over his face and beards for several minutes. I will give you one year. And so Bethan and I lived and slept with my mother, but worked with Heralt and Silius in the abode that became a hospice. A.D. 73, April. The winter darkness had passed, the fields were sowed, and the harvest was expected to be good this year. Many farm animals were with young, and of the clan only Surdic died. We had no threats from neighboring clans. The dark season was gone, but had been kind. To celebrate the spring, the coming of new life, Laverne and I asked Bethan to hand fast us. At the feast for the hand fasting, I wore my green dress, Laverne's favorite. Jana, you create a fire in my soul, he whispered during one of the few moments we shared. Our lives will be joined by the gods, and we will travel our path together. As I stand here tonight, I promise my life in trade for yours, at any time the gods ask it of me. I could ask for nothing more, yet I felt a need to not let go of him. 
I knew our journey would not last long. I craved a vision of our grandchildren, of Laverne teaching them about the plants and gods of our land. I could not say what the future held for us, but only go through each day working with him and the gods and goddesses. We were strong in each other, for now I kissed him with a love-filled heart. As he turned to take greetings from others, I noticed he had recovered from his travel. He had gained muscle and carried a look of calmness in the corners of his eyes. My mother cut and stitched his new clothing. She also gave him a light cape of our plaid. She welcomed him to the clan with this gift. She told him he should burn his old clothes for luck, but he folded and stored them. There are too many memories woven into them, he said. Laverne had given me a gift before the ceremony, a sacred drilled hazelnut strung on a leather cord to wear around my neck. With it came his acceptance of my knowledge of the other world. I saw myself reflected in his deep blue eyes as a woman and a mate. I sighed with content. I was not a girl trying to find her way. Through the help of Laverne and the gods, I found my new life. I was now an Imrama, a soul friend. At the feast, we danced and drank Bethan's mead. My mother baked my favorite salmon in eggs and herbs. All who came brought food to share, a cup of milk from a white goat, or a hog to be slaughtered and roasted. Henrik played music on his pipe. Hundreds of feet danced with us, even mothers. Laverne spun me off the floor, and I laughed. I bind the three threads of unity around your wrists. With this hand fasting, I ask that Morigna, Bell, and Lug bless you. Now go into the community, and all will know you marry in one year, Bethan said as he tied the three strands of yarn around first my wrist and then Laverne's as we faced each other. Druid, it is good that the plan you had for Janna worked. She remains my niece, my sister's daughter, and I will still hunt you if she comes to harm in your care, he said. His eyes were fierce. Her soul has been promised to the gods, but I will protect her while she is on this earth, said Laverne. I stood in the center of the circled clan. To be here as Laverne's colleague and hand-fasted with him as his life partner was an honor. The clan accepted me as a healer, and at the same time, Bethan acknowledged Laverne as a clan member. We moved into our future. Bethan invited both Laverne and me to his evening meals, where we shared stories, music, and food. I did not serve anymore, and I did not allow my mother to serve me. She sat beside me with honor. Grumbling, Bethan made do with one slave to serve his meals. Laverne taught me much about healing. We gathered the plants and herbs that had been available in the cold darkness of winter, but were ready for the plants that had been hiding to burst from the ground and reach for our hands to harvest. My mother's home, now our home too, became our storage and drying shelter. We decided to make our abode larger to accommodate and store the herbs, plants, and other supplies we used, and gathered more of each day. We traded with Strawn, our neighbor. He built our room, and we promised to care for his family's health with no more recompense for one year. It was a good trade. Strawn, our doorway must have this lintel, and I wish it to be installed 
before we re-enter the house, said Laverne. Of course, said Strawn. Laverne crafted the lentil from you and Hazel and carved it with druid letters. He read it to me. May our love invite health, good spirits, and peaceful dreams. Peaceful dreams. A shiver slid down my back. The heavy feeling in my heart would not be eased. I knew not what the gods ask of us in the future, but knew we walked to the end of our own labyrinth. Here will be the shelves to store the dried plants. We can keep a box of the stones we need for healing here, and over there we can hang the mistletoe, said Laverne as he walked through the space that Strawn would be enclosing with our new wall. Strawn had opened up the back of our house, breaking the stone wall out and stacked it nearby ready for reuse. The outline of the room pushed out to touch the wall of the fort behind us. Strawn dug three more support holes. The walls and the new thatched roof would be done in a few days, if the weather held. Mother Laverne and I were sleeping at Bethan's and would be glad for an enclosed, weather-tight and quiet abode again. Yes, I agreed. I can see it in my mind. In my mind, I also prepared our marriage bed. It would be here. I would gather the pine boughs for freshness and cover it with dried grasses and heather for sweetness and softness. Over it I would spread my best woolen covering and our blankets, the ones I wove last year. Three threads, one each of blue, red, and yellow, would have three knots tied, and then all three braided around three small twigs of oak. I would say prayers to Luke for fertility and place the small bundles where our heads would lie. Laverne walked over to the first of the three holes and stood looking back into our home. I am where the gods want me. I am here to live and die. I wish my memories to be new from this time on, yet I do not want to give up my old ones. Jonna, please come here. Startled, I came back to the present. He turned to face the hole as I stepped next to him. I looked into his turned-down face. His red hair fell over his eyes. They seemed to look far away as he stared into the hole. He shrugged his labyrinth bag from his shoulder, untied its leather string closure, and it fell open. Turning the bag on its side, he shook until the three sharp crystals fell out into his smooth hand. I have created a new life. These stones helped me arrive here safely, and they will protect my new abode and family. He handed me one, and again it was warm in my hand. Place it in the hole. I looked at him in bewilderment. Was he going to bury his stones? It will be a part of the support of our home, he said. I kneeled to the earth and placed the first of the three stones in the hole. We did the same twice more. I stood and brushed the dirt from my knees. Laverne, upright and tall behind me, placed his hands on my shoulders, his fingers softly entwined in my hair. I laid my hands on top of his solid, protective hands, grateful to have shared this moment with him. I heard the ravens in the distant trees. Our powers were strong together. Great goddess Marigna, protect us, prayed Laverne. We are here now to live as you and Bell request. We shall follow the path to which you have led us. 
Create a peaceful and healthful abode in which we can teach our children to praise you. Grant us the knowledge to help the clan in any way you demand. In return for our lives, we ask for good memories to be made here. Strawn watched our ceremony from a respectful distance. After our completed prayer, he took the three flat river stones and laid them inside each hole on top of Laverne's crystals. These flat stones were gathered from the sacred pool and will protect the crystals from the weight of the posts and the roof. The stones will protect the crystals for the life of the house, said Laverne. My breath caught in my throat, and I knew the crystals would be here much longer than our home and the other homes on our hill. The crystals would be here for many moon and sunrises, longer than our clan would inhabit the surrounding fields. Only our love would live longer. My body sagged with this knowledge, and I leaned against Laverne, my strong post supporting my future. Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Radaski. Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, Journey of the Warrior Soul, from his album, Sons of Summerled. His music can be found at www.etherean.com, who along with Steve have allowed me to use the music in my podcasts. Learn more about me at www.radaski.com.